This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. In an interview with Emmanuel Sutner in 1995, which he did for his book Cutting Through the Mountain, uh, interviews with South African Jewish activists, Johnny Clegg said the following. I am reading a history of the Jews by Paul Johnson. The thing that I find immensely accurate in his overview is that there's always been this kind of rationalist and irrationalist element in the development of the Jewish worldview. Um, Very sadly, Johnny Clegg passed away earlier this week. And to pay tribute to this incredible man and his very iconic music, um, I speak now to Emmanuel Sattner, the author of the book, who is currently in Australia and very kindly agreed to join me to tell me about his experiences and interviews with Johnny Clegg. Emmanuel, thank you so much and thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Emmanuel, um, you met Johnny Clegg, is that correct, for the first time when you interviewed him for the book in 1985? Uh, the first time I met Johnny Clegg was actually in 1980, um, a much earlier time in his life and in mine. I was 16 years old at King David High School, and I and a friend, Adrian Perkle, interviewed him and Peter and Kumil for um, our school magazine, The Davidian. Right. And uh, we sat in a little gardener's room in the back of a Houghton mansion with people and with Johnny. Um, people were working as a gardener in this, uh, this house in Houghton, and uh, they had these old ovation guitars. Well, then they were cutting-edge kind of folk rock guitars, and these, um, I remember Roland's chorus amps, which were, and they played us some of the material from Universal Men. And we, um, yeah, and we, 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 we talked to them and, uh, Johnny was 27 then and was not yet, uh, married. And, uh, I guess both for, 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 for he and for us, there wasn't so much of a focus on Jewish things and it was more kind of about Universal Men, the first album and what he was trying to do in terms of, uh, that was 1980, so it was very different dates from uh, 1995 or six when I met him again and he was for cutting through the mountain. Uh, in terms, um, um, like, yes. What's what interesting with the later interview by then he was married to Jenny Clegg, a Jewish woman, and he's had two children, and uh, we've had a different age and stage, and obviously often having children. Uh, focus your attention on what uh, kind of cultural legacy you're bequeathing to them. Um, so that second interview, obviously, it also focused on Jewish identity because that's what the book was about. But uh, he was also at a very different uh, age and stage of his life and the birth of his children, I guess, had drawn uh, his attention back to some aspects of, of his Jewishness. And the third time you interviewed him? The third time I... Uh, uh, subsequently, interviewing once more for a magazine which used to come out, I don't think it's around anymore, called the Jerusalem Report, um, which uh, I think, uh, I'm not sure if it's still been published yet, but it was published in Jerusalem, and I interviewed him, but that interview covered much of the same ground as the interview in the book in a condensed form. And had his views changed? Had his views changed? From the second interview to the third interview in terms of his Jewish identity. Uh, no, I, 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 no, I think, 
Yes, um, you know, I think what what he says uh, in the long interview in the book, um, I, I haven't had a great deal of, I had, we, we sort of uh, ate a couple of times at his house in Waverley, and then he moved to Hyde Park, and we met a couple of times there, and that must have been around 97, 98, and I haven't really had any contact subsequently. Um, so I'm no authority on where, what directions he went in, in terms of his Jewish journey, uh, sort of in the post 2000. Um, but yeah, at, at that time, when I when I interacted with him, um, he had two young sons. Uh, it'd been uh, some debate around whether the, his youngest son. Uh, should be circumcised or not. He had quite a lot of an internal debate about that. And uh, eventually, they, he said somewhat under pressure from, from his in-laws and uh, community went with the circumcision, um, but felt quite compromised in some ways that when actual circumcision was done, that as he described it, the black asses came into his home and took over and sort of took his son away from him and he said he, he cried at the circumcision and not because of the uh, uh, so much the actual uh, ceremony but because he felt that uh, people that he to some extent distanced himself from had suddenly come into his own private space and, and, and taken over. Um, Eman- so he, uh, Emmanuel? Um, yes. kind of that, that story is told in your interview with him in your book, Cutting Through the Mountain. But, um, that story kind of in a way out of context, when I read that interview, I felt that Johnny was grappling with Jewish identity, but it was very much part of who he was. His mother, um, came from, um, Russia, I think it was, the Russia Finnish border, and sh- her father himself, um, his maternal grandfather was extremely Jewish and quite dominant. And I think being Jewish for Johnny was a part of his identity that he accepted, but was one part of his identity among many, and he was trying to find those different, uh, place for different identities within him. Absolutely. And, you know, being the kind of person he was with a uh, a very incisive intellect, but coupled with a emotional intelligence and a great openness, he, he grappled with that in, in a very uh, open way and without reaching any kind of premature position before allowing himself to sort of thoroughly explore. So, um, yeah, I think he definitely said that he he recognized a certain Jewish ability, as he described it, to deal with paradox and to hold and contain paradox. And he, he recognized that as part of his own cultural inheritance and way of processing things. Um, so, uh, and he, he explored, I think he, for a while, uh, he talks about in the early 1990s coming back from an extensive overseas tour, exhausted and coming back to, um, some of the havoc that was happening around the time of Cadessa and, uh, becoming quite depressed. Um, and also when he's, his partner and dancer was killed. 
and and then looking for some answers and engaging with. Um, I think he used to go to a couple of shiurim with Raymond Perkle on Chassidus, and uh, he engaged with Rabbi Kivatet and found found the conversations intellectually stimulating and also challenging where he was coming from in terms of his uh, adopted Zulu cultural paradigm, particularly in relation to sacrifice and ancestors. Um, so I think he was he was open and he listened and he took in and made the uh, the path that that made sense to him. Uh, yeah, part of his his vocabulary. And, and the other thing that came out so strongly in your interview with him is his um, his political agenda was that of music. It wasn't that of politics. There wasn't a political agenda per se. Yeah, he, he he said that in a way, circumstances, the context forced forced him into a kind of politicisation, but that was never his primary thrust. Um, he talks about as in his early years at first getting involved with a little bit of political activism, which got some workers fired, and he wasn't then able to fully redress that, and he didn't feel good about that and after that he decided that his his path would be through music rather than a more overt political activism um yeah. Yeah, I, I, I th- thought that interview with you did with him was extremely insightful, and um, kind of you could see the issues he was grappling with. And but also what came across so much is is intellectual honesty and his humbleness. Yeah, I think it's great courage, great enthusiasm. He had this kind of boyish enthusiasm, and brought it to bear on everything that he thought about, worked with, uh, which was very infectious. Um, and as you say, yeah, a great deal of honesty and, uh, you know, in the same way as he wasn't comfortable with some aspects of Jewish tradition, he wasn't comfortable with some aspects of Buddhist tradition. And I remember us talking about things relating to animals and animal sacrifice. Uh, I think there's some ceremony that happens where a bull is brought into an arena and pummeled to death, basically, by many people. Um, and he talked about his, his discomfort with that and uh, you know, so he, he, he says in the interview in the Jerusalem report that um, that when you ask your own questions, tradition finds it threatening. Right. So he asked questions about every cultural tradition that he engaged with and uh, didn't accept it all necessarily as a package deal if it didn't cohere or make sense for him. Um, and I think that's perhaps a reflection of him being his own person. Um, and it's interesting that he attributes a lot of that to his coming-of-age rituals as a learning learning stick fighting, learning Zulu dance. He didn't have a bomitza. He refused to have a bomitza. And uh, once his stepfather took off um, to Australia when I think he was about 14, 
he then had the experience of his not having contact with his biological father, who was in England, and of having the stepfather sort of abandon the family. So here I was a young man looking, I suppose, for a father, but also looking to negotiate his own way through his uh, emerging masculinity and to learn how to be a man. And I think to some extent he found that in his interaction with the dancing teams where you have to strut your stuff and make statements about your masculinity, and that's very scary. It requires courage. You've got to stand up in front of other young men and kind of make the statement about your prowess, and he kind of learned to do that, and he said he became competent at stick fighting, and that kind of gave him the, uh, the uh, credentials that he could uh, back up the statements he was making through the dance, and it beyond that a certain commitment, a commitment to uh, adopting a particular position, even if that position is only adopted after some dialogue, some internal weighing up. But then once once the commitment is made of making that commitment, and I think you could see that commitment showing up in everything he did, in his you know, crossing of cultural boundaries at a time when no one else was doing that, in his music, in his uh, his presence on stage, and his complete commitment in dance and in song, and I see a lot of the obituaries have talked about him as a singer, but he was a masterful songwriter and a great poet. His lyrics are really excellent, excellent lyrics that stand alone without the music in many cases. Mm. So, so that attribute of commitment, he seems to somehow, I think got from some of his interactions with, with Zulu culture. And by contrast, I guess with the, uh, the, the Jewishness and ability to, to sometimes see things from multiple perspectives and not needing to make an equal and opposite perspective wrong, but being willing to embrace different points of view. Um, and I can see that also in his songwriting where he, um, see things sometimes through the eyes of another or something that's not necessarily his own biographical experience. He manages to approximate another experience in a way which seems very authentic. And so I see both those cultural inheritances flowing into each of his body of work. Uh, Emmanuel, we have to leave it there, but thank you so much for for um, sharing and for um, giving insight into the incredible person that Johnny Clegg was and the legacy that he's left in South Africa and the outpouring of grief and the comments have been absolutely uh, amazing, heartwarming. Uh, and I think what we're going to do with this interview is play out with my favorite Johnny Clegg song, which is We Are the Scattlings of Africa.